The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're in John chapter 7. If you're new here, my name's Chase. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going through a series that we are calling Come and See. Come and see, and it's the book of John where there's invitation over and over and over to come and see the glory of Jesus Christ who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The book ends, start there in John 1.14 and end at the end of the book where John says the reason this book was written was it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And in believing, you may have life in His name. That's a rich, full, abundant, eternal life. We believe that at TBC. We believe that this scripture is that we might believe in Jesus together and have life in his name. One of the ways that we have life in his name together is through small groups. If you're not in a small group or if you want to get plugged in to TBC, to community, that's the way to do it. There's information on that back table out back where you can get information about that. You can email me or any pastor at TBC. We'd love to tell you how to get connected so that we can come and see the glory of God in Jesus Christ together. Well, as we've been going through the book of John last week, we were at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles where the children of Israel were remembering that they had dwelt in tents or tabernacles or booths in the wilderness wandering after they left Egypt. And today we hit the last day of that feast and there's this climatic moment that's beautiful and amazing and I love to read and I'm excited to talk about. I wonder, have you ever been thirsty? And I, I don't mean, man, I'd like something to drink. I mean really, really thirsty. Thirst will drive you to do crazy things. In the movie, The American President, um, one of the actors quips, if you can give people sand to drink if they're thirsty enough. See, thirst will drive you to do some crazy things. My dad, when he was a young man, had some thirst going on that were partially of the physical kind and partially of another kind, and that thirst led him to do some crazy things. In fact, it led him to drink a lot of stuff the night before his first semester final exams in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at LSU. He drank a lot of stuff, and it was not water. And he decided he would swim the Mississippi River. And he failed. <laughs> My dad loves his degree from McNeese State University that he got. See, his thirst drove him to do some crazy things. Sometimes we thirst for good things. Sometimes, like my dad as a young man, we thirst for foolish things. And Jesus is talking to thirsty people. He's talking to them in a context of a religious feast that they had had over and over and over again. So they've gone through this feast for seven days, and on the last and greatest day of the feast, it's a, a moment of sacrifice and celebration. The historian Josephus wrote that on this last and great day of the feast, they would have sacrificed a bull, they would have sacrificed seven lambs, they would have sacrificed a kid goat, and then they're pouring water jars of purification, 20 and 30 gallons each, on the altar. And they're singing these verses from Isaiah that say, we will drink water from the wells of salvation. And in John 7, it says that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. The word is the same word in the Greek for when a crow would call. One translator or one linguist says that it, 
it was a loud shriek so much so that it was almost unintelligible. So in this loud voice in the middle of the feast or at the end of the feast, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's saying something that's universal and true, I believe, for all people who are thirsty, but he's also saying something in the context of Israel's history, and he's making a point to the people who are there. So again, here's what they're singing. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted. Verses 5 and 6, sing praise to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And guess what? Right in their midst is the Holy One of Israel. And they're saying we will drink from the well of salvation. And then we'll make known His deeds among the peoples. We'll drink from the well. We'll proclaim that His name is exalted. We'll drink from the well. And we'll let this be made known in all the earth. Because great is our God. And one of the things that Israel missed and failed at in their vocation of being a light to the nations is this. Soul satisfaction leads to global proclamation. That was the design from the beginning. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The glory of God, the image of God is going to be spread over all the earth. Like the waters cover the sea. That was the design from the beginning. God's people He created in His image were to make His name and His glory known. Or when He said to Abram in Genesis 12, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The glory of God is going to spread through Abraham's offspring. That's a design. And so Israel's vocation is to be a light to the nations because they have drunk from the well of salvation. And they can't keep it in. The problem was Israel could keep it in. See, they were reading this, they would be singing this, and then as the waters poured out, Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's evoking images they would know. It's not just here in Isaiah 12. In Isaiah 44, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Look in John seven thirty-eight. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in Isaiah, there's this image, waters poured out on a thirsty land, streams on dry ground. I'll pour my Spirit out on your offspring. And Jesus is saying the same thing again. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And He was speaking of what? The Spirit. Isaiah 55, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat wine and milk without money and without price. Come and drink. Come and drink. And then God tells His people in Isaiah 58, 
If they'll embrace the sort of fast that he chooses, he says, I will guide you continually. I'll satisfy your desire in scorched places. I'll make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, there's this imagery of living water that satisfies. It satisfies. There's another image that John wants us to see in its temple image. He started this in John chapter 2 when Jesus goes in and turns over tables in the temple and then he says to the people, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And this, his followers knew after his resurrection, was the temple of his body. He's speaking about the temple where the presence of God dwelt where people came to meet with God destroy this temple and I'll raise it up and then with this image of living water he's evoking temple language again in Ezekiel 47 the prophet Ezekiel gets this vision of the temple where people came to see the presence of God displayed and there he brought me back to the door of the temple And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And guess what? Behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. And if you continue to read in Ezekiel 47, they step out about a thousand steps and the water's not trickling anymore. It's ankle deep and they step out a thousand more steps and it's knee deep and then a thousand more and it's waist deep. And then in verse 5 it says, and again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And if you go on to read, it says that there were fruit trees that lined the river And they produce fruit every month. There's this life-giving river flowing out of the temple. And Jesus says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, in the context of the story of Israel, Jesus is bringing this language to show something. He wants them to understand something. Richard Hayes Theologian in his book, Echoes of Scripture in the Gospel, says that Jesus in this moment is both fulfilling and supplanting the occasion. For hundreds of years, they've been pouring out water on the altars. You will drink water from the wells of salvation. And He, Jesus, the source of living water, is fulfilling this occasion, but He's also supplanting it. He supersedes it. He's taking over it. He's saying, no longer do you need to come to this altar, to this temple to drink water from the wells of salvation. He's saying, I am the well of salvation. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So what we want to do is look in verses 37 and 38 at this invitation that Jesus gives, and then we want to see people's response to it. So three things about the invitation that Jesus gives. The first is this, Jesus' invitation is universal. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's a universal invitation. If anybody is thirsty, and there's good news for us. Jesus loves broken people 
Jesus loves sinners. In fact, everybody Jesus has ever loved, apart from his eternal love for the Father and the Spirit as they have dwelt together, has been a broken person, has been a sinner in need of grace. And Jesus loves sinners, and his invitation is to the broken, it's to the thirsty, it's to the needy. The qualification for this invitation is not being good enough, it's not being smart enough, it's not being properly degreed. The qualification for this invitation is not coming from the right family or the right ethnicity or the right political affiliation. The qualification for this invitation is simply this, thirst. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? If you are, come to me and drink and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty for God? Are you thirsty for forgiveness? Are you thirsty for fulfillment? Another beautiful thing about this universal invitation is Jesus doesn't even say you have to be thirsty for the right thing or know what you're thirsty for. When he called Matthew, Matthew was a tax gatherer. He was thirsty for people's money. When he called Simon the zealot, he was thirsty of zeal for the law to take over and Rome to be banished. When he called John and Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen. They were thirsty for more fish in their nets. When he called Saul of Tarsus, he was thirsty for the blood of Christians on the road to Damascus. Maybe you're thirsty for revenge or reputation or some sort of end of pain. Maybe you're thirsty for freedom from something that binds you or afflicts you. Maya Angelou, in her her poem, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, says, The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. He might not even know what he's singing for, but he knows there's this longing. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. Freedom from sin, the freedom of of fulfillment. See, it's a universal invitation for anyone who's thirsty. The invitation is not just universal, it's personal. He says, come to me and drink. And this is a revolutionary statement. Because you didn't just come to God. And the Jewish leaders know he's claiming to be God. That's why, as we've read before, they want to kill him. See, in... In their context, you came to God, but not everybody could really come. It was just like when Moses got the tablets off the mountain and his face shone so brightly, a veil covered him. Some people came to the base of the mountain. The elders came a little bit further, but Moses came and was intimate with God, but not everybody was. And even then, God had told them, you can't see my face. If you see my glory, you'll die. Well, In their setup of the temple, there's the Gentile court. There's the court of the women. Then you can go further and further in depending on who you are. And then there's this holy of holies that one guy can go into one day a year. And they tied a rope around his body in case there was sin in his life. He would die and they would pull him out. Nobody could go in to get him. And Jesus is changing the paradigm of how to meet with God and be intimate with God. When he says, come to me and drink, when he dies and the veil is 
torn. There is no more veil. There's no more need for the court of the Gentiles. Everyone who believes will be able to come to the Father boldly with intimate access because Jesus is bringing people to God and He's bringing people together. And it bothers the religious leaders. It's an invitation that's universal. It's an invitation that's personal. He says, come to me. Come to me. And then it's an invitation that's consequential. It's an invitation that's consequential. If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And when he does, something's going to happen. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Because a soul that's satisfied makes a global declaration that Jesus is Lord. A group of people who are satisfied are going to be the light of the world. And again, Israel had missed it. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Drink from the well of salvation and say, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make His deeds known among the peoples. The way this living water should have flowed from Israel as they drank from the well of salvation is that they would speak of God and do deeds that cared for people. And they missed it. The Spirit of God in the life of His people is life-giving both to them and through them. You can't drink deeply of Jesus and then just get filled up and hold it in. That's not how it works because we don't get to define how it works. Jesus does. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, this is what God's people were called to do. One of the verses we we looked at in Isaiah it's Isaiah 58, 11, And the Lord your God will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. He'll be with you in scorched places. You'll have water that's flowing up. It won't fail. The Lord your God will guide you. But Israel was not walking in the vocation they were called to. We know this because if we look a little bit back in Isaiah 58, God is challenging them about their fast. He says, when you come to me, you bow your head, you put sackcloth on you, and you put ashes on your head. You do this religious ceremony, but your life is not light to the world. Is that the sort of fast I choose? And then he tells them, this is what it looks like to fast. This is what it looks like to be my people. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7 This is the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, that yoke of oppression, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Is that not the fast I choose? If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out... There's that image of being poured out for the hungry and satisfied the desire of the, the afflicted. Then the Lord your God will guide you continually. Then you'll be like a well-watered garden whose springs do not fail. Let's see, 700 years before this, Israel had missed their vocation. Then the prophet Jeremiah, they missed their vocation. When God says of His people, my people have committed two evils... 
They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out or dug out for themselves cisterns that hold no water. And again, in the first century, Israel had missed their vocation. And the Pharisees wanted people to follow them with religious zeal, to push out Rome, who they felt like was oppressing them, but then they were oppressing the poor among themselves. And Jesus... Jesus is drawing people to God and together in a way that both the religious and political leaders of his day failed to do. Jesus is a uniter and he is a divider. Let's look in the text. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? He comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was born. So there was a division among the people over him. See, Christ was a uniter, but he was also a divider. These people knew the Word of God, kind of. They knew the Word of God, kind of. A division arose among them over him. The identity and mission of Jesus Christ is a dividing line in the world in the first century Israel, and it's a dividing line in the world today. Who is Jesus and what is he about? That is the question. See, it's an interesting thing. These are religious people and they know the Scripture. How could he be the Christ if he, he's from Nazareth? We know the Christ comes from Bethlehem, from the village where David was born. And, and to their credit, they couldn't pick up the book of Matthew and go, look, it's right here, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, this must be him, because the book of Matthew didn't exist when Jesus was saying these things. They didn't know the whole story, and they thought they did. And so a division rose among them over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. If we go on to read verse 45, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? They were supposed to arrest him, and the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Their job is to arrest people. It's what they do. They keep the peace. They stop those who are causing trouble. And make no mistake, Jesus is uniting people. They do not want united. And that is trouble for the leaders that would keep us apart and keep them apart in their day. But no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So Nicodemus, who we read about in John 3, he had gone to him before and he was one of them. He was a Pharisee. He said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. See, they thought they knew the word of God. But they were missing the very point and central theme and character of the Word of God. The religious leaders of Israel knew their Bible, but they didn't realize it was 
pointing to Jesus. And there might be a warning for us in this text that you can know the right things and know the right words and have done all the right Bible studies, but if you miss, if you miss that this scripture is about the word and work of Jesus and what he is doing and his people are doing in the world, then you've just missed the point. See, the Pharisees are asking them, have you also been deceived? And there's Perhaps just a smidgen of irony there that the Pharisees themselves are the ones who are deceived. They don't know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus' words are as consequential as His works are. And just like His works are disturbing the Pharisees when He's healed a man on the Sabbath, now His word, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. They're disturbing the leaders. See, having Bible knowledge without following Jesus is an adventure in missing the point. And that's what happened to these people. They were extremely religious, but they weren't trusting in God's Son, who they were to be expecting, who was to come and make all things new. See, they knew the Scripture, but they didn't know what it was for. They didn't know what it was for, and what it was for on this day was thirsty, thirsty people. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Soren Kierkegaard said this about Christianity, what use would it be to me to be able to formulate the meaning of Christianity, to be able to explain many specific points if it had no deeper meaning for my life? I certainly do not deny that I still accept an imperative of knowledge and that through it men may be influenced. We have to know these facts, we have to know these truths, but then it must come alive in me. And this is what I now recognize is most important of all, that this scripture has to come alive in me. Church, it's got to come alive in us. Kierkegaard said, this is what my soul thirsts for, as the African deserts thirst for water. See, if any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I got a friend named Todd. We went to seminary together at Southwestern, and one day in class, couple of guys were sharing their story and Todd started sharing his and Todd went to Texas Tech University in Lubbock and there while he was in college he got a job making a lot of money and he started the story and said I was making a lot of money and he said my line of work was a little bit interesting it was called credit fraud and everybody gasped like someone who was in seminary would have never been involved in credit fraud i.e. a sinner and he got in trouble for taking lots of money from people. So after he got out of trouble, he moved to Colorado and he met a lady there who was running an adult entertainment establishment and they started living together and running this business and as they're running this business, he's got tons of money, he thinks his life is happy and a friend out of the blue from his childhood calls. And his friend calls and this friend has come to know Christ and he begins to share Christ with Todd. And Todd said, I listened to him for about 45 minutes and I didn't want anything to do with this. And so I just said, hey man, I got to go and hung up. But the guy called the next day, started sharing again. I did the same thing and he called the next day and I felt bad about hanging up on him. So I realized if I just started cursing, he'd hang up on me. So that's what I did. So I'd let him talk some days for 15 minutes, some for 45, and then I'd just start cussing and he'd hang up. 
And this went on for 30 days. And on the 31st day, he said, my friend called back. And he said, Todd, I think Jesus is coming after you. And I think you know it. And I think you want him and don't know what to do. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And his friend hung up the phone. And Todd drove out into the mountains of Colorado and sat on a rock and looked up to heaven and said, Hey, Jesus, if, if this is real, I think it's real. If this deal is true that you'll forgive my sins, I'll take it. I'll take it. He drove back to his apartment, sat down with the lady he's living with, and talked to his friend on the way, and he said, Here's the thing, I know this sounds crazy, but I've just trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for San Antonio in the morning. And i got a friend who will let me live on his couch. And if you want to learn about Jesus, he's got a friend who will let you live on her couch. And so you're welcome to come with me. Or you can have the cars and the apartment and the business. And without blinking an eye, she said, I'll take the stuff, see you later. And Todd went to San Antonio, Texas and began to learn about Jesus and grow in Jesus. And then... A few years later, started a Bible study in San Antonio, Texas called Metro Bible Study. And then he ended up pastoring at McLean Bible Church for a long time. Because he was desperately thirsty and he didn't even know what he was thirsty for. But he found in Jesus one who could satisfy him. But he satisfied him in such a way that he just couldn't hold it in. If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I read a story this week about water that that disturbed me in a couple of ways. It was a story of a a man named Jay Bouchal. And Jay was an adventurous. He loved adventure. He had been in the army. And so he loved going on treks. He had trekked through the Arctic tundra the north side of Greenland. He had done all kinds of things. And there was a camp in Moab or outside of Moab, Utah, that he wanted to do where you did desert adventure treks. And they were survival treks where you learn to survive off the land. He's in a camp with 11 other people. And they're going through this. They have guides. And one day they're going to make a trek across the desert just under 10 miles. They're at 6,000 feet altitude. And they're only going to use what they find on the land and so he loaded up with water about an hour or so into the trek they're all thirsty they come to a stream and they drink and he pulls a water bottle out of his backpack and the guides say no no no, we're not filling our bottles we're just drinking here we're only going to use what nature will allow us to use we're not storing any water well what jay doesn't know is the guides backpacks are full of bottles of water in case someone gets in trouble Well, Jay gets in trouble. He begins to have cramps in his legs, cramps in his stomach. He is thirsty and he's not doing well. And the guides know he's not doing well, but they think we just want him to make it. We want him to make it on his own. We want to see how far he can go. And the other campers told the story of how Jay then would begin to collapse and they would pick him up. And when they'd pick him up, He'd have a burst of energy, but just run in a different direction. He walked up to a tree during that day and began talking to it like it was a lady. And then, toward the end of the day, they're about 50 yards from a cave that is full of water to drink, and it will satisfy them. And Jay Bouchot falls over dead. 
There's water 50 yards away. There's water in the backpacks of his guides. But they just wanted to see how far he could go on his own. I think there are a couple of things that maybe we could press into this morning as we close. And the, the first is this. Are you, are you surrounded by water and unwilling to drink? Are you thirsty? And you've been thirsty for a long time and you know, you know that you're unsatisfied. And here's Jesus, who as we read through this book, we see how amazing He is. We see why it was written that we might believe that He's the Christ and believing we might have life in His name. And you're seeing the miracles and you're reading of His teaching and no one ever spoke like this man and you are thirsty. But you just think, no, I'll get some water on my own in just a little way. I'm, I'm doing all right. When really you're fainting, you're falling down, there are people trying to help you. You're just thirsty and you're not satisfied. Would you come and drink today? And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, a joy that you can't keep in. Is that you today? And God forbid, this second one, that people would ever be able to say of the church, they got water and they're not passing it out. See, there are people that are so thirsty, they're drinking sand that the world has to offer and living water. If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So the implication for us is if, if we've drank deeply of Jesus, that living water is flowing out of us into cubicles and offices next to us, into our home, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, among our friends, into all the world. God forbid that we got water in our backpacks and we say, well, let's just see if they can make it on there. They pull themselves up. We want them to survive on their own. That's not the fast God chooses. See, when you drink from the well of salvation, and when you know how deeply it satisfies, you've got to share that with others. We've got to share that with others because we have this living water. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in a parched and desperate state, a sin debt we couldn't pay, a longing in our hearts that nothing the world has to offer could fill. You said, come to me and drink, and we, we have, and we're satisfied. God, we pray that that living water would flow through us so that the love of Christ would be expressed so that the glory of Jesus, the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, that this living water would flow everywhere because you satisfy. And then God, pray for, pray for people in this room that some are thirsty for forgiveness and some are thirsty for revenge and some are thirsty for money, and some are thirsty for power, and all those things are broken wells that hold no water. So Father, for those in this room that are thirsty today, would you move in their hearts that they might come and drink of your Son so that the living water of your Spirit might
along with all of us, that it might transform them. And that that living water might flow through them so that they're not only satisfied, but they're also being a blessing to others because we have drank from the well of salvation. And so we want to proclaim your marvelous deeds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're dismissed.